Uh, thank you, Bill, for that uh, introduction. And um, a uh, warm greetings from the churches in the Philippines. And a uh, pleasant, happy Sabbath day to one and all. It is great to be here in spite of the freezing cold temperature, <laughs> uh, which I did not expect. I woke up to a negative 4 degree centigrade. I think you're on Fahrenheit. We're on centigrade. So all the while, I thought it was going to be an early spring morning. Okay. Back home, it would be a perfect, warm, sunny day of roughly around 30 degrees Celsius. And we will be in our casual summer outfit headed for the beach. Okay. Whether it be rain, sun, or snow, it is a joy to share the warmth and the Blessing of the Sabbath with all of you here and with those who are joining us on uh, livecast. When Bill uh, and Jeff, uh, they visited us in the Philippines roughly around two years ago, uh, they gave us an advice. They said, hey, Winston, instead of doing your um, traditional media advertising, why won't you consider uh, doing some digital uh, uh, you know, marketing? Okay. So we tried to uh, crack our brains and we came out with a digital platform uh, doing the Philippine work. Uh, you know that uh, we do conduct Bible study every month uh, in four sites around the Philippines. And we use uh, our local broadsheet to advertise our uh, Bible study venues. And a um, couple of months ago, we started doing our digital campaign. We do digital advertising uh, to do invites uh, you know, to the general public. And uh, the last, the first time that we had it, we have roughly around 200,000 views, which we thought was pretty good. And it has been increasing ever since. And this month, we had a uh, Bible study. It was the, I think, the 3rd of March. And uh, we thought that it was appropriate for us uh, to talk about the sacrifice of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we came up with a topic entitled, He Died for Me. So in the topic we talk about, He, who is He? Who is Christ? A lot of people don't know about Christ. So we said that our Christ is our Creator. He came to die for us, the Creator. Okay? And we said, the word, He died, why He needs to die? Why can he not demand salvation by fiat? Why can he not decree that, hey, tomorrow everybody is saved? The law is no longer in place. If there is no law, there is no sin, then everybody is fine. Why can he not do that? So we explained that he needed to die because he needed to ransom, to pay the ransom for us because salvation is not free. It's paid with the price of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we said, for me. Why me? Right? Because Jesus Christ came to save a brother and a sister. Because God is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And we can read that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. So we came out with this campaign. And with the advice of the people at Facebook, uh, they said we need to advertise two weeks in advance of the campaign. And we did. Okay? And we spent a little bit of money to boost our ad. So, 
for this invite on the Bible study that we had last month, entitled He Died for Me, we reached 1.6 million viewers. Okay, and 2.2 uh, impressions. That means there are 600,000 people who saw the advertisement more than once. We generated almost 2,000 page likes, almost 1,000 post shares. Means, it means that they look at the advertisement and they share it with their friends. And I would surmise that a significant number of this would be our members sharing with their friends, with their associates as well. We have 42,000 page engagements, people who visited the Church of God International Philippines Facebook page. And we have 40,000 post engagements. You know, they talk about the ad uh, that we uh, turn out. And this all sounds like pretty impressive numbers. But only a handful actually came in fellowship with us, roughly around five or so. Um, yeah, we held our uh, Bible study on a regular basis at, in Manila at the Etsa Plaza Shangri-La Hotel. And, um, you know, the place was pretty packed, you know, uh, pretty packed full because a lot of our visitors and uh, some of our, our uh, members, they invite their friends you know, because of the campaign that we're doing with the ad that they pass around, you know, and uh, we're able to, you know, to, to pack the room. But for those who actually saw the advertisement and voluntarily uh, came, small amount of people. But that's what it is, you know, and uh, we, are, we are very encouraged with the results. We think that in due time, uh, God will call a lot of these people, hopefully a lot, uh, that they may see the truth and eventually come in fellowship with God's church. Well, the season of the Passover and the days of unleavened bread is upon us. And as uh, Mr. Bill Watson would advertise, would like to invite you to come to the Philippines for the Feast of Tabernacles, okay, which might be very early. Um, it's a fantastic place uh, to be. Uh, so um, uh, uh, this year, uh, again, we will be having the um, uh, Tagaytay City as a feast site. It's, um, it's along the ridge of a live volcano. So that, would, that makes it very interesting. And it is roughly around 2,200 above sea level. So the temperature there is uh, pretty good, you know, pretty cold for that particular season. So if you do have time, please plan to come down uh, to the Philippines and enjoy the sunny, sunny, warm weather there. So we all know the significance of the spring festival. I always remind people that at the Ask Passover, it's a special solemn event for all of us. Because at this night, we relieve the events of the Passover that Jesus had with his disciples. It's not an ordinary night that we observe. Because on this particular day, you know, Jesus 
spent his last few hours with the disciples. And as Jesus' new disciples today, at Passover, we sit together to partake of the bread and of the wine, just like the 12 apostles did during that faithful night. And the words that we read that night are the words that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ spoke to the disciples almost 2,000 years ago. So for me, the Passover is almost a reenactment, a memorial you know, of that faithful night. So we are sort of relieving it. And to me, I think it has significant spiritual insight. Uh, you know, going through these festivals. And while we partake of the bread at Passover, the piece of the unleavened bread, we know that it represents the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and a cup of wine representing the blood that He shed on the cross for all of us. Both the wine and the bread represent Christ, the symbols of His act of grace. Passover is God's grace towards us. It's it's God's act of grace. While the seven days of the unleavened bread is our response. Uh, The grace, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is an act of grace coming from God. The ensuing seven days of the unleavened bread is our response to that act of grace. It is our symbol of conversion. It is, it is our symbol of change towards a godly and holy life. Every day when we partake of the 11 bread for the seven days and suing, we are reminded that we need to unleaven our lives that we may live righteously and holy before God, that we may live a life of sincerity and truth in Christ. Today, I want to talk to you about actions and about deeds. Before I go on, I want to give credits to some of the materials I'll be referencing, particularly materials coming from Mr. Malcolm Gladwell and... um, uh, Leonie Lee Bests. There is an old idiom that says, actions speak louder than words. It is not what we say, rather, it is what we do that matters and eventually reveals who we truly are. Now, words are empty. Words are often deceptive. While actions are more forthright and genuine. A person's attitude must directly match his behavior. If someone truly believes in something, it must be manifested in his behavior through his actions. If someone says that he is or she is proper, he is expected to behave consistently with his belief. But sadly, Very often, in reality, this does not happen. People have the nasty tendency of saying one thing and doing the exact opposite. Even 
with the best of their intentions. We often, we often hear of people espousing reducing global carbon footprint, right? And yet they would drive big cars and live in centralized air-conditioned houses. We hear of people say that money is not important to them, but they spend their, all their waking hours chasing after wealth. Some say that they are concerned about the environment, and yet they spend long time in the shower wasting precious water. Clean water. Some say they want to get fit, but they refuse to go to the gym and to do some exercises. It is not what we say, rather it is what we do that determines who we truly are. Therefore, actions indeed speak louder than words. I love to watch television if I have the time. And there is this television program back in, at home in the Philippines that I used to watch. And uh, it is shown on the Fox uh, network. The series is called Lie to Me. How many of us are familiar with this uh, television uh, series? You know, I love this particular program. You know, if, as much as possible, I, I, I try to catch it. In the show, Dr. Carl Lightman and his colleague in the Lightman group, they would accept assignments from third parties, uh, commonly from local and federal law enforcement, and they assist in the investigation, searching the truth you know, through applied psychology, interpreting micro-expressions through the facial action code system and body language. Through these subconscious micro-expressions, Dr. Lightman and colleague can tell if a person is lying or is telling the truth. We can consciously lie through words, but we are betrayed by our body language and our expressions. Malcolm Gladwell, the author of Blink, how many of we are of us familiar with him? Oh, you should read his book. <laughs> One of my favorite authors. You know, Malcolm Gladwell, the author of Blink. Blink means blink, right? He talks about predicting relationship through micro expressions. And in his book, you know, he sort of suggested, he said, when he goes into a restaurant and he sits at a corner and he tries to observe the people, you know, chatting on, in, inside the restaurant. And he can look at couples in conversation and he can predict with degree of accuracy the state of their relationship. Whether the couple will eventually end in divorce or not. He said, when you see disgust in the facial action code system, he said, the marriage is over. When you see your spouse, okay, when you're talking, when you're chatting, and you see someone, spouse, with a raised leaf, lip, and with her eyes rolled, 
He said, that is disgust. The marriage is over. Okay? Contempt. If you see contempt, he said, then you cannot lie because of the expression. The marriage is over. Body language is a form of nonverbal communication, which consists of body postures, gestures, facial expressions, and eye movement. As humans, we sense and we interpret such subconscious expressions. Body language provides clues as to the attitude or the state of mind of a person. It may indicate Anger, angry, okay, or aggression, okay, or attentiveness, or interest, or just bored, boredom, pleasure, content, happy, sad, disgust, as I said earlier, contempt, and other clues such as emotions, you know and other emotions and attitudes. I believe this disconnect between belief and behavior is prevalent in religion, especially in Christianity. There is this prolific, nasty tendency for people who call themselves Christians to behave Differently from what is written in the scriptures. Paul talks about this apparent disconnection in Romans chapter 2. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. And we'll start reading from verse 13. Paul wrote, he said, For it is not those who hear the word who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared Righteous. And Paul is absolutely correct. Okay? It's not the hearing what makes us righteous, but it is what we do. He said, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now let's drop down to verse 17, Romans chapter 2. Verse 17, he said, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, and we can also replace that word Jew with a Christian, he said, if you call yourself a Christian, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who Say that people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? He said, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So there is this great disconnection. 
Okay. People call themselves Jews. They people call themselves Christians, but they don't live it. There is this disconnection between belief and deeds. And then he continued in verse 27. He said, The one who is not circumcised physically, yet obeys the law, will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. See, a person is not a Jew or a Christian, I may add, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew. You know, who is one uh, inwardly and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is from, is not from other people, but from God. So what Paul is trying to say here is that there is this nasty behavior of grossly incongruent, incongruent, you know, uh, thing happening between belief and deeds and action and behavior. Okay, so what God wants is that our deeds, our behavior, our attitude must be congruent to our belief. And He said that such disconnection between belief and behavior is tantamount to blaspheming the name of God. And Paul then adds that a man's praise is in his consistency of belief and behavior. We are very familiar with the term used for such a disconnect, right? We call it hypocrisy. A person professing this kind of falsehood and pretense is called a Hypocrite. And in one of the heated discussions Jesus had with the Pharisees, he accused the Pharisees of hypocrisy. And the famous account is known as the seven woes recorded in Matthew chapter 23. Let's go to Matthew 23, starting from verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, he said, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Okay. There is gross disconnection. When we... Christians read this account today, we thought that this hypocrisy, you know, belongs only to the Pharisees. Okay? Then it will never happen to us. And people believe that the Christians are immune to this kind of behavior. And this is where most people are mistaken. And Jesus said that even preachers and ministers are prone to this disconnect, you know, to teach one thing and to do the other. And for this reason, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 
And in verse 21 to 23, we read, He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hypocrisy is a serious problem in the practice of the Christian faith. You know, in the time of the apostles and even in our time today. James, the brother of Jesus, understood this far too well. And it necessitated him to write about it. One thing that stands out from the writings of James is the inseparability of words or beliefs and action. I want to bring your attention to James chapter 1 in verse 22. James chapter 1 in verse 22. James said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive, deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James understood perfectly the implications of saying one thing and doing another. James' argument or argues that faith is not all talk. All words and no deeds probably mean that faith is not sincere and not genuine. Real faith is beyond words or beyond platitudes. Real faith is manifested and is exhibited through our behavior. That James declares faith without works is dead. Real faith, according to James, is faith that proves itself by what it does. And we can read this in... James, the second chapter, continuing in verse 14, he said, what, is good, uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save him? He said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If, you, uh, if one of you say to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does not does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, he said, it is dead. But someone will say, I have faith. You know? But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He said, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe, and that they tremble. They tremble. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deed is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? In verse 22, he said, You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did.
No one wants to be a hypocrite. No one. The theory is that humans have a natural tendency to keep their hypocrisy at zero. Therefore, we all have a desire to keep, people have the desire to keep their beliefs equal with, to their actions. Okay. Leonie Libes has this equation. If belief equals action, then hypocrisy equals zero. So, if belief equals action, then hypocrisy equals zero. And that is where we all want to be. Okay. He said, we have this natural tendency you know, to keep our hypocrisy level at zero. Furthermore, he said, when hypocrisy equals anything other than zero, an anxiety will exist inside the individual. Because everyone wants the hypocrisy to equal zero. So when there is an imbalance between belief and action, one of the variables have to change. So I thought about this for a while. I said, okay, I have a set of belief, okay, but if my actions are not equal to my belief, then my hypocrisy, you know, level is not zero. Then I have this anxiety. I develop an anxiety because it is my desire that I be not a hypocrite. So you have two equations. You have belief and action. So I thought for a while. Is that how do you now make your hypocrisy zero? Okay. It's either you change your lifestyle to conform to your belief, or you change your belief to conform to your lifestyle. Okay. That is why, you know, when you look around, you know, people tend to toy around with the commandments of God. Right? They don't want to toy around with commandments of God. Okay. Why? Because they are adjusting the belief system to their behavior. It's the other way around. Okay. But in our case, as true Christians, we adjust our behavior to God's laws. Right? So that we will not be a hypocrite. Okay. But there is a need for that equation to be at zero. Yeah. So there are only two ways to go. Either you adjust the belief system or you adjust your behavior. Okay. So when there is an imbalance between belief and action, one of the variables have to change. The object, the objective, the object thing to do is to change our action so they will conform with our belief. However, some do it by changing their beliefs so that 
they are equal to their actions. The opposite of hypocrisy is sincerity. We know that. Sincerity is the word used to describe a person whose behavior is analogous or equal to his belief. Okay. A person is sincere if the belief system equals his behavior. That would be sincerity. Okay. Sincerity is the word used to describe a person whose behavior is equal to his belief. The word sincere means true and genuine without pretense or hypocrisy. James' great epistle is to balance our belief with action in order to produce in us a true and sincere faith. Anything less than sincerity is hypocrisy. Therefore, James said, as, as I quote again, he said in James 1 verse 22, we have read this earlier, I would like to read this again, he said, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He said further in verse 23, say, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like, like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, by doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, those who consider themselves righteous and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Strong language coming from the Apostle James. He said further, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and in their distress and to keep our oneself from being polluted by the Word. The character of our conduct speaks volume of who we are. It is not the words we speak, rather the deeds that we do that eventually define all of us. John, John sums it all up in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, first epistle of John, and in chapter 2. Let's start from, let's start in verse he said, We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. So this is the set of beliefs. Okay? The words, the commandments of our Lord. Right? So that's the basis. Okay? 
said, Whoever says I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. Okay. So now he equates this to our behavior, our action. So if we believe something and if we do not do it, you know, not only are we hypocrites, we are liars. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his words, okay, the love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. So as Christians, we need to align our actions, our behaviors, our deeds with our beliefs. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. He said, dear friends, in verse 7, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth uh, is seen in Him. And if... And in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And he illustrates it further in verse 9. Say, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the dark. Why? The action is not congruent to the belief system. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walk around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Okay. So finally, you know, in demonstrating the consistency of belief and behavior, words versus action, Jesus gave a poignant parable. And for us, I think this is a very important and vital lesson coming from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that we need to take this parable to heart. Okay. Let's start from Matthew uh, chapter 21 in verse 28. We'll read verse 28 to 32. Matthew Chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Verse 29. I will not. He answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the older son, to the other son, and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first. They answered. 
As Jesus asked, which of the two did what the Father wanted? And indeed, it is the first who actually went and did it. Therefore, in the final reckoning, what a Christian does is far more important than what he says. Actions indeed speak louder than words. Therefore, we come to the Passover season. Okay. As I said earlier from in the beginning, is that the Passover is God's act of grace. The seven days of the days of the unleavened bread is our response to God's grace our act, our behavior. And this is what we need to be focusing, you know, during the season. Okay. We try to evaluate ourselves whether our behavior is congruent to our beliefs. Okay. And if not, we need to adjust our behavior. So that we may be right with God. Therefore, uh, let us keep the Passover and the season of the unleavened bread, you know, in truth, you know, and in sincerity. So, so with that, a uh, glorious Sabbath to one and all.